0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Are the Edmonton Oilers back? That's one of the questions we're wondering about as we kick off another week here around the NHL and on this program. Are the Minnesota Wild done, or are the Minnesota Wild on the verge of doing something significant? Another question we're asking to kick off the week. Uh, What's happening with the New Jersey Devils? Another question. We're asking as we kick off the week here on the Merrick program and is Patrick Kane signing with the Detroit Red Wings as a decision looms and we get down to the short strokes and the days become more narrow and focused? Is that the decision that Patrick Kane is poised to make or... Our teams like the Florida Panthers, Boston Bruins, Dallas Stars, Buffalo Sabres, Toronto Maple Leafs still in the mix? All of these things we'll discuss over the next couple of hours with various guests. Uh, most notably, Elliot Friedman, who stops by here in a couple of moments, kicks off pretty much each and every program here and has done so for the past couple of seasons. Uh, Peter Boss stops by at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about the Colorado Avalanche. Um, Peter covers the ABS has for a number of years as well. Dave Randorf stops by to talk to us about the suddenly scary Tampa Bay Lightning, and it's not just because Andre Vasilevsky is back, but the suddenly scaring Tampa Bay, scary Tampa Bay Lightning uh, look legitimate once again. Wash, rinse, repeat. Also, Dallas Aiken stops by at the uh, the bottom of hour two. Dallas Aiken's former head coach uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, the Anaheim Ducks, former head coach of the Toronto Marlies as well, and San Diego Gulls of the American Hockey League. He has signed on to become the general manager and the head coach for Adler Mannheim in the uh, in the German League. Now, there's an interesting backstory to all of this that goes back to Dallas Aikens' days with the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs when he coached the Marlies. We'll get into that with Elliot here in a couple of moments. One thing I, I can mention to you is uh, Dallas Akins interviewed with the PWHL, the Professional Women's Hockey League, in the offseason as they were looking for general managers for their six squads. Couldn't come to a deal, but uh, nonetheless, I think the idea of running a team was attractive to uh, Aikens, and I think that's what probably put it over uh, with Adler Mannheim for Dallas Aikens, the fact that he gets to learn a new skill set in perhaps a career path that he now wants to take, not unlike what Barry Trotz did, uh, going from a head coach um, to a general manager of a team. Uh, We have a lot to get to today. Uh, We will talk about the Edmonton Oilers' Um, And, you know, there's six-pack of a wild-card spot right now. You know, I had a conversation with someone over the weekend who said, you know, the saving grace about the Edmonton Oilers, or the saving grace for the Edmonton Oilers, it might be that they play in the Western Conference, not the Eastern Conference. And we've all discussed how many points do you think it's going to take to make it into the playoffs as a wild-card team in the West. And the question becomes, now that Edmonton is starting to look like the Edmonton Oilers that we're used to, can they really do this? Uh, that's where we'll start the conversation here with Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, who joins me once again. Hello, Frege.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Uh, so today, we have a number of things to go over. And uh, some of them we went over in the podcast we recorded last night that came out this morning. We'll see if we can advance a couple of these stories. But, you know, uh, really quickly, I wanted to to get your thoughts on on Dallas Aikens, former head coach of the Oilers, former head coach of the Anaheim Ducks, uh, coach of the American League for the San Diego Gulls, and the Toronto Marlies. Mm-hmm. And if we can pause there, because... Um, he signed on now as general manager and coach of Adler Mannheim. Where you've uh, been, as you'll recall, and, and well, where I've been. Uh, yes, it's a wonderful place and a wonderful organization. Unfortunately, you know, a couple of the friends that I made there are no longer with the team. Uh, these things happen. It's been a team that's been scotched by injuries to kick off this season. Um, a number of their key players have been hurt. Um, you know, uh, Tyler Annis is still hurts right now. I mean, mm. Ennis has a neck injury. Uh, Ryan McInnes has a wrist. Uh, Stefan Loibel just came back now. So nonetheless, this is a position, eighth technically in the league, that Mannheim's not used to being in. So some people lost their jobs, and Dallas Akins goes in there. Now, I was trying to trace back to you know where the origins of the conversations started, and I think you can take this one back to 2011, Elliot, when, as you'll recall, the Toronto Maple Leafs signed a developmental deal with Adler Mannheim where mm. they would send some coaches for training. Some players would go over as well. German players would come back. It was, this was very much a Brian Burke thing. And at that time, Dallas Akins was head coach of the Toronto Marlies. And, you know, Burkey talked a lot about how, and he was right, Germany is becoming a sort of burgeoning hockey power, very athletic culture, dedicating money, great resources, hockey and now you're starting to see consistently elite-level players join the NHL, whether it's Dreisaitl, whether it's Tutsula, whether it's Reichel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the beginnings of the relationship, which was, you know, finally consummated now with Dallas Akins going over... Probably goes all the way back to twenty eleven I know that Aikens would have recommended Jamie Cyphers uh for a job with Adler Mannheim as well mm. for a position there like it sounds very much like the communication has always been open, and if we're going to play snakes and ladders with this one and go back to the beginnings, I think we go back to two thousand eleven with this one elliot uh
1: you you recalled a lot here that I had completely forgotten if I even ever knew like that's a you did a lot of work this morning on this, Jeff. There's no question about it. I uh, I, I didn't remember. I there was I was there were some names like Jamie Cyphers. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time, but it's it, it's a good point. I never would have thought any about all this, and I never would have made the connection.
0: Uh, Nonetheless, this is something, I mean, I mentioned on Twitter that Dallas Akins had interviewed um, with Stan Kasten uh, for a general manager job with the PWHL, the Professional Women's Hockey League, uh, as they were looking for managers for their six teams, weren't able to come to an an arrangement. But it sounds to me like very much like we all know Dallas Akins can coach like that's the given it sounds to me like Akins is really interested in managing. And that was the part that was most intriguing to him. Not unlike what it was for Barry Trotz going from a head coaching position uh, to a general manager position as well. Do you have a thought on the future of Dallas Akins now that he's taken a management position to go along with a coaching one?
1: Well, sometimes I always think if you're a coach and you know that your job is precarious based on the feelings of the general manager... Sometimes it's probably better to try to become a general manager because maybe you have more staying power. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I can't blame him for looking at that. Look, like I like I believe Jeff that all knowledge is good knowledge, right? Knowledge is power, and if you can learn sure. more and you can discover more uh, about yourself and and what you can do or you know diversify your skill set, uh, anything like that. Why wouldn't you do it? So I completely understand why he would uh, go out and and consider uh, this kind of a job, and maybe it's going to be something he wants to do. Who knows? But uh, like to me, like I said, knowledge is power, and the more you learn and the more you understand, the better off you're going to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. To uh, to the NHL, and we wish Dallas Akins all the best. He'll join me in hour two. Um, are the Edmonton Oilers back? Uh, we saw the shutout win against the Washington Capitals Friday and then the, uh, the pacing, poor Lucas Dostal. Um, the pacing of the Anaheim Ducks, 8-2 yesterday, squandering one of Max Jones' best games ever in the National Hockey League. Uh, we scored a pair of goals in the, uh, in the, in the first period. Is Ed, are the Edmonton Oilers back? Are you ready to say that yet, Elliot? Jeff, you have the
1: emotional swings of like an 11-year-old. I have to say this, like you can't, <laughs> you cannot proclaim the Oilers as being back already. You, you can't do it. It's, it's amazing. Everybody's kind of caught on about how the bottom of the Western conference, like if you do the math right now, there's going to be like a 13 point difference between the eighth seed in the Eastern conference and the eighth seed in the Western conference. So they're, Definite, you definitely can look at it and say, all right, um, because of how weak the bottom of this conference is, we're not done and we've still got a chance here. You can certainly sell that. And watching the broadcast last night, they were certainly selling that. Um, but still, you know, McDavid's hot. I wonder if it means he's healthy. Actually, Jeff, it should be pointed out that after someone mentioned that McDavid had stopped the jersey tuck and we wondered if maybe that was injury-related,
0: <laughs> yeah. that,
1: yeah. that he was wearing something underneath that he didn't want anyone to see. Well, the jersey mm. tuck is back, and not only that, but he jumped something like 100 places in the weekend on the NHL scoring chart. He went from somewhere in the low hundreds, and I think now he's 12th again or something like that. So the number one thing I wonder about McDavid is, whatever he hurt earlier in the year, I I wonder if he's just healthy now. And that will drive the team. But still, this is a long way from being fixed. A a long way from being fixed. They've had two good performances back-to-back. But one of the things we've learned about the Oilers this year is, just because they have a good winner two in a row... Don't preach to to proclaim that the struggles are over.
0: You know, and this is going to be another challenging week. For the Edmonton Oilers, we talk about the Calgary Flames schedule. You know, ditto for the Oilers uh, as they'll face off tomorrow against the Vegas Golden Knights, and then the Winnipeg Jets, and then the Carolina Hurricanes is next on the board after those two games. So uh, the schedule is uh, anything but kind uh, to Edmonton. Um, A couple of more things from around the NHL. and I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, who you need to be concerned about and and who you don't need to be concerned about. At times, we're concerned about the Tampa Bay Lightning. At times, we were wondering, okay, is this now the fall-off point for Tampa? Uh, The Vasilevsky injury is going to expose everything for this Tampa team. There's only so many years you can let go of the McDonough's and the Palat's. Uh, and the Tyler Johnsons, and go you know go right down the list of all the players they've had to let like, go to because of the salary cap. Um, but as Mark Twain once said, uh, reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, as we have wild 11-year-old boy swings, the Tampa Bay Lightning are back. True or false, Elliot? Uh,
1: I think that's, I, I, again, I'm going to hesitate to say back. To be honest, if there's a team I'm concerned about right now, it's Minnesota. But there's no question that that Vasilevsky stabilizes them. I thought Johansson, Mm -hmm. like, I think he did a good job of holding the fort. It could have been a lot worse. Um, And, you know, Johansson was, like, he played like a guy who is a two-goalie or a three-goalie, like a two-three. He gave them some good nights. He gave them some rough nights. He had some nights where he was both. But he did about as well as you could have and should have expected to do that job. I I think now, you know, Vasilevsky, he erases a lot of their worries. We'll see where they go. But if you're asking me who I'm more concerned about, I'm more concerned about Minnesota. That's the team that I look at right now, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on here?
0: so just for our listeners and viewers know the the minnesota wild have now lost seven games in a row oh five and two and they've lost 13 of their last 16 games as well um we saw patrick maroon after the loss, four to one against detroit yesterday um quite openly you know share his disgust uh with the results and with the performances of his team as well and Listen, Bill Guerin, we've talked about before, he does not want to use that $15 million black hole in their salary cap as a reason for uh, for failure in the regular season or the playoffs. He just refuses to do it. But that is a reality. And knowing how, how capped uh, the Minnesota Wild are and knowing how capped everybody is now, it's really, really hard to make a deal to shake up your team, which means... Unfortunately, all eyes are on Dean Evason, the coach. I don't think Bill Guerin wants to do it, but then again, we said that about Edmonton. Your thoughts on what Minnie does here?
1: Well, I, I think this—it's—I think the Edmonton comparison is the absolute right one to use because when it was with Edmonton, they didn't want to do it, but they felt they got boxed into a place where they had to do it. So sometimes you get moved into that position. Sometimes you control things in life, and sometimes life controls you. You plan, God laughs. And I think Minnesota is getting into that position right now, Jeff, that I agree with you 100%. I think that Bill Guerin is a big supporter of Dean Evison. I think that he recognizes that not everything that goes wrong there is Evison's fault. Sometimes you just get pushed into a spot where you have no choice. And I think Minnesota is is getting to that spot where something is going to have to give, whether it's a move or a change of some kind. you just worry that they're in the same zone that Edmonton was in. And, you know, you, you've got to do something. And even a guy like Bill Guerin, who likes to push back at things and and, and and it's not always easy to change his mind because he believes what he believes. Sometimes you get forced yeah. into making changes that you don't want to make. Uh,
0: Minnesota has an interesting week. Uh, the next three games, they face off against Central Division opponents. It is St. Louis tomorrow, then Nashville. Preds, by the way, have just ripped off five wins in a row. Uh, yeah. See if we can get to Nashville here in this conversation, and then they face off against the Chicago Blackhawks. So three Central Division matchups uh, in a row here for the uh, for the Minnesota Wild. While we're talking about teams you're concerned about, uh, do you have a thought or two on the New Jersey Devils and the Toronto Maple Leafs?
1: Well, New Jersey, look at their record when Isiah Hughes play. I think they're five one and two mm. or five two and one. Um, you know, Hughes gets all the attention there for a lot of good reasons. He's he's the sexy offensive player, and he's the guy who can yep. do things on that team that nobody else can do. But watching them on Saturday night and just watching uh, he's sure he's the linchpin. He's the true linchpin because he does a lot of the work that, that needs to get done to free other people to yeah. do the fun stuff, right? And I just think when yep. he's not there... There's too many people who have to do things that there's too many things he does that have to get covered up for that it either pulls other people out of roles or puts people in roles that they're not 100% good at doing, and it's just a huge loss for them when he's not there uh, because he is the eraser. He he takes care of things that other people need to take care of. So, like the other thing too is New Jersey. I am really curious to see what they're going to do in goal here. Like, I, I think yeah. that they are I, – I, I think they've been looking around. I think they've – like, just – I don't think there's anything imminent or anything like that, but I think they're looking around. and just saying, if we have to do something or we decide we have to do something, what are the options that are available to us?
0: Uh, both goaltenders sub-900 uh, save percentage, and it's tough to make the playoffs when that is your reality. What about the Maple Leafs yeah. through all of this, Elliot? They, they're, we know that they're a good team, but a good team is not going to win the Stanley Cup, and that's what the expectations are for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And at times they look like world beaters, and other times they look quite the opposite. What's happening here? Like We know that Brad for Living is going to do something with that blue line. Um, but what happens with the Maple Leafs here?
1: Well, you know, as you said, uh the blue line, uh in goal. Um I, I also am beginning to wonder if they think their goaltending is strong enough. Um, you know, I, I believe in Wolves' future, uh, but they need results now. And uh, you know, Snow had a rough night against Chicago or rough afternoon, I guess, against Chicago. Um yeah. so I like I like I, I, I think we all know the defensive issues, but I'm beginning to wonder if they think they have goaltender issues too. So those are the mm-hmm. two things that jump out at me. You know, the other thing, Jeff, is is that I don't wor- worry about the Marner-Matthews uh, pr- uh, production because I, I just think that those guys are both producers, right? But if Nylander's not going right now consistently, the offense isn't going so consistently. And like, I- I'm actually surprised to say that Marner's uh, Mars going through one of those really tough phases where it looks like the weight of the world is on yeah. him. And, um, you know, like those aren't easy for him. I like, I think he's a hell of a player. Um, but he definitely goes through phases where he feels it and it weighs on him. And, uh, because he's such an important part of the offense, he's such a great player for them. I think when he goes through those phases, some of the team's offense goes with him. And uh, that's, a, that's a tough place to be. He's, he's, he's really fighting it right now. You can see it.
0: Yeah. Um, the Maple Leafs, one of the teams that have spoken to Pat Kane. Well, a lot of teams have spoken to Pat Kane, and we've wondered about Dallas. We've wondered about Florida. We've wondered about Buffalo. Uh, on the podcast that came out this morning, uh, you had mentioned the Boston Bruins as well. But does it not feel like a lot of the roads here lead right? To Patrick Kane's doorstep for the Detroit Red Wings.
1: It does, but again, like I, I, I I live in fear of making proclamations that will go on my tombstone. Uh, You know, I I think that uh, look, there's a lot of noise to the Red Wings right now. There's, there's no question about it. Um, I, I, there's a lot of people who seem to think that. Um, he's, if not leaning that way, he's definitely strongly considering Detroit. I, I can't say a hundred percent, but Jeff, there's a lot of noise out there. Now, I, I, I think there's, I think there's a couple of teams around too. Like, I still think Florida has been around it. Um, you know, the whole Dallas thing, like I have to say to you, one of the people who I think really knows best, he said to me back in September, if Patrick Kane can go to Dallas, he really believes that's where he wanted to go. And, um, you know, like I've been told at times, it's just it's not what Dallas thinks they need to do. But it's just one of those things that it just never seems to go away. Um, so I don't know what to make of that. The Boston thing, I, as I put in the pod this morning, I heard it this morning, you know, the, or la- yesterday I heard it from a couple of different places that wouldn't connect to each other. You know, the thing I think about that is, Jeff, is that I really do believe that we don't know the full picture of who he's talked to. And I absolutely believe, like Toronto, there are teams he's talked to that know it's probably not the best fit, but you do your due diligence. So there are those teams out there. You know, the Boston thing, when we put it out, somebody called me this morning and he said, look, if – it says there's probably limited to what the Bruins could do contract wise. And I wouldn't put them as the favorite in this, but I think they're at least in it. And from a purely roster construction point of view, you can see the fit. Like there is room for a Patrick Kane on their roster. And you know what they're trying to win. And that's what the Bruins are like when they have a chance to win. Look what they did last year. You know, they, they, Orlov, Hathaway, they went for it. And you know, they have obviously oh, yeah. they have a really good team, even though they had a rough week. It you know, from a purely hockey point of view, it makes sense. I just don't know if everybody here thinks it's the, uh, thinks it's gonna
0: work. So tomorrow and we'll talk more about this on, on tomorrow's show, but tomorrow evening, uh, the Florida Panthers trying to make beliefs game is game number three twenty eight for the season. That is the official quarter way, quarter mark, whatever you want to call it, of the NHL schedule and probably our first legitimate chance to have a look at the entire league and say, okay, this team is good, this team needs help, this team is bad, this team has no hope. When you look at I want to ask you about one very specific team here because you can make the argument that they might be right now at this moment the best team in the league. When you watch the Los Angeles Kings, Elliot, what do you see? You know, I I see a
1: team that is not going to beat itself too often. They're going to play the same way every night. They're going to be structured. Um, I mean, you know what you're going to see against you. You see a team where people have accepted roles, Um, like Kopitar, Obviously, because he's older now, he's not going to do the things that he did earlier, and he's fine with that. You know, field, I think everybody thought he'd be a certain kind of player. He's, they, they don't have him in the role that everybody hoped a number two pick would have four or five years later, um, or three or four years later, but it doesn't mean it's not an important role. I bet you Kaliev thought he was going to be like a first-line scorer, he's not, but it's still an important role. And they've went out and they've gotten centers. Now, I, like Talbot has played great. I wonder if they think that their goaltending is going to be enough. But the other one I kind of watch out there is that Dubois, and he's generally been this kind of guy, he's been really hot and cold. And I think for what they're paying him now and the role that he's got,
0: he's going to have to go to a more consistent place in his career. But I think that's a really good deal. Uh, I do too. And I, I'm a, a, I mean, I I think you're the same way too. I I think one of the most interesting things uh, that we look at on a consistent basis is ice time and bench management and who does what and which coach leans on which players. And what does this indicate to us? You know, I look at the Los Angeles Kings and none of the forwards are in single digits. You know, like there's like everybody is in double digits. You mentioned, you know, Archer Kaliev, he's at 14. The lowest, uh, Jared Anderson Dolan and Trevor Lewis are at uh, just over 10 minutes and just over 11 uh, for Trevor Lewis. But no one's in the single digits at all. Like Todd McClellan has done a, and we're going to hear Jack Adams about him. He's done a really good job, not just with the whole team, but specifically with this forward group. Now, He's got some high-octane offense to work with, whether it's uh, Kopitar or Kempe or Kevin Fiala. Uh, You mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois. Kaliev has uh, has four goals as well. Trevor Moore has been a delight this season. He has 11 goals and 19 points. But I I find it really impressive what... Uh, what Todd mccollin has been able to do with this forward group, like he's like Montgomery was like this and still is with the Boston Bruins. You know, last year Dave Haxthall was like this with the Seattle Kraken when they were just grooving as well. Nobody's into the single digits. Everybody plays and everybody feels like they're contributing. I can't help but that's part of the success here, for the Los Angeles Kings.
1: Well, I also think Jeff, like as you as you run through all those that information, like the, the team I think about is Vegas. Like the defending Stanley Cup champion was like that. Like, if you look at the difference yeah. last year when they won between their top forward and their low forward, I bet you it was as close, as, if not closer, than any other team in the NHL. And Vegas prides, them, yeah, like Vegas prides themselves on that. And, you know, the thing about the, the, thing about the Golden Knights is that, you know, like when you look at the teams who are going to dethrone them or try to dethrone them, Right now, if you were to rank everybody one to 15 in the Western Conference who has the best chance to beat Vegas, you'd probably rank LA one because they're the the team that's most like them. Their forwards play at times like their forwards play. They're distributed very well. They're deep. They've got a lot of different lines that can do damage against you, or score against you, or play hard against you. They're a structured team. You know, it's interesting. You know, if you would have gone into the playoffs last year and said uh, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson would win you the Stanley Cup, I don't know how many people would buy that. And now the Kings, it's Cam Talbot and Kunal's Copley, right? So, like, I I see a lot of similarities there. And like I said, if you were ranking them 1 to 15, you'd probably put the Kings number one right now to challenge Vegas in a seven-game series.
0: Okay, let me finish up with Nashville here. So, uh, five-game winning streak, and they're now at 500. They've they've clawed their way back, one point out of a wild card right now. Uh, do you think it's any coincidence, and we saw Luke Shen come back last night, do you think this is any coincidence that all of a sudden Ryan McDonough and Luke Shen are healthy, and the Nashville Predators are starting to win?
1: Well, I mean, the one thing I felt tough for last night with Shen was he didn't play after that one goal, right? He didn't play, like, the last eight minutes. Yeah. So I was like tough return uh, for for uh, one of uh, hockey's favorites. But, um, look, I-, I think this. Like, I think Barry Trotz is the kind of guy who feels stronger with a big – like, he's one of those big mobile blue line guys. Like, you know, like, when he was there, he could throw, like, Weber or Suter over the boards, and life was great. Didn't have to worry about anything else without those two guys out there. And then Yossi came. But, like – and then course they had then they had Ekholm. like he's like he's going to try to build his defense in that image and I I just think that um, the the bigger the stronger the more mobile he can have a team like when you have to when you have Fabro who unfortunately isn't playing a ton or or and Carrier in there they're just not as they're not like that they're, they're just not the same group and. Like, that Nashville team has had some wild swings. They they beat the Rangers in New York right before the Rangers went on their tear. That was one of the Rangers' worst games in the year. You know, about a week or two ago, they were down to 30th or 31st in the league, the Predators. And now, as you said, they've won five in a row. So I think they're just one of these teams that has as wild swings and not as consistent as they'd like to be yet. And that's typical of a team that's... Mm-hmm figuring out its way and doing a new identity. I, I do think that um, uh, Trotz is going to continue to try to mold his blue line in his old image or the Vegas image.
0: Can I ask you a question? Are, are, are they rebuilding? No. Like, how re- do you describe what's happening in Nashville?
1: You're not rebuilding if you're signing guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shan and stuff like that. They're, that's the on-the-fly retool.
0: Yes. And more room for the Yusuf Parsons uh, of the world. Okay. And your buddy Evangelista was Luke, second in
1: rookie scoring last week.
0: Luke, Luke Evangelista, you know, I had to sit down, got the message. I mean, I, I think a lot of that was, um, to, be, to be perfectly blunt, I thought a lot of his swoon was because Tommy Novak was hurt. And he kind of kind of kind of bared it out when you, when you watch the games, but nonetheless, good to see Luke Evangelista uh, playing well again for the Preds. Uh, okay, you be good. Uh, we will talk again tomorrow as we hit the quarter mark of the NHL season officially. Thanks Rich. Each...
1: Well, I am traveling tomorrow, so you're going to have to live without me for two days. I don't know how you'll be
0: able to handle that. Uh, it'll be a breath of fresh air. There'll be oxygen for everyone. It'll be good. It'll be nice. It'll be lovely. Uh, well, you mean, be well. We'll talk advice. again in a couple of days.